This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin, and this is another conversation about what else? COVID-19. Things are developing incredibly quickly, and today we recorded a conversation between our CEO, David Gerard, and Emily Evans, the Managing Director for Healthcare Policy at Hedgeye Risk Management. Normally, we don't date these podcasts, but because things are moving so fast, I'll let you know that this was recorded on Wednesday, March 11th. It was a long conversation, so we're going to run it in three parts. You'll want to listen to them all. Uh, it comes out to about 38 minutes total. In this first part, Emily and David talk about the loss of trust in institutions, the overall outlook for the next few weeks, and where PE-backed groups fit into the COVID-19 response. If you find it valuable, and you will, be sure to share it with your colleagues and subscribe to High Stakes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Well, Emily, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for having me. And I, I'm, I'm glad we're not hugging or, uh, <laughs> or handshaking or, or handshaking because we don't want to be that person. <laughs> no. But would you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do and what you're watching? Okay. So I am the managing director responsible for health policy at Hedgeye Risk Management. We are an independent research group uh, and we serve largely the investor community. And those are investors in nonprofit health systems, for-profit health systems, healthcare providers of all types. And we provide them with guidance about mm-hmm. health policy. And I think of myself as a translator and a tour guide. Mostly. Translator and tour guide. It's excellent. So uh, if you're providing guidance, what kind of guidance are you giving uh, your clients today? Um, generally or specifically related to the current crisis? Well, since generally and specifically seems to be the same thing right now because it's, it's uh, all-encompassing. It but does. We're talking about COVID. So COVID-19 is, I think, an accelerant to a disruptive trend that's been with us probably three or four years. Mm. The move to outpatient services was well underway before COVID-19. It's probably just going to be accelerated mm-hmm. by that. The move to disruptive technologies like telemedicine is probably going to be accelerated by that. So the pieces were already there. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of them being a little gasoline being pushed. So COVID's kind of tipping point. It's like a test of the system that's been fragile, and this might be the thing that would actually accelerate uh, directions that have already been right happening. And, and more globally. You know, we've had, we've seen over the last, oh, I guess maybe decade or so, just this breakdown in trust for community institutions. Mm -hmm. A lot of that, my theory is a lot of that has to do with we don't know what the community institution is doing because we no longer really have community connections with our like we did before, like our newspaper, our local newspaper mm-hmm. was the most common. The whole breakdown of the idea of community itself. The whole breakdown right. of the idea of community itself. And public health is based almost entirely on trust. You know, there's some medicine in there for sure. Right. <laughs> and there's some science in there, absolutely. But it is, it's about trusting your government. It's about trusting your government to tell you the truth. And with that, I would say your healthcare provider system, um, telling you the truth, telling you what you need to know, when you need to know it so that you can act appropriately. Because what do you do if you, if you aren't getting good information, you go to the worst case scenario immediately and you start behaving in a way to protect yourself and your family. I wonder what that would look like. Well, it looked a lot like China. Uh, looks, I don't know if you saw when they decided to close the North in Italy. 
the, the pictures of people running to the train. Fleeing, yeah, right? like, ahead of the quarantine. Yeah, the, yeah good strategy. <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you. <laughs> if you live in southern Italy, that probably was not what you wanted to what you wanted to see. So right. Uh, so the so the more one of this is an opportunity, and and we don't know which way it's going to go. Either it's going to tip away from trust, meaning mm-hmm. the healthcare system and the political the political system that controls and manages it they are their credibility will be reduced or it will be increased and if you look at the Washington state press conferences that is trust building they're straight out the public health directors telling it like it is telling you this is what i know this is what i don't know this is what I think it's going to happen. Here's the problems. Mm-hmm. Here's all of that. Just laying it right out there. And so and how would you compare Washington State's uh, engagement with the public on this and Washington, D.C.'s engagement? Well, with the it, it's been messy, right? Um, now, we had the – first of all, I don't – you know, the there the de- we can argue all day long was there's a deep state or not. I would tell you that in the public health world, real true public health, and especially in infectious medicine, there probably isn't, but there's just such distrust in the White House for career people, even if they're career scientists or career medical people, but yep. there is just a lot yep. of distrust. So that 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 made the messaging really messy. And and you saw this early on with the president say, oh, 15 cases, it'll be zero, which was just unrealistic if you know anything about you know, how disease moves around. Anything at all. <laughs> but in the last few days, Tony Fauci's been moving to the forefront mm-hmm. um, and doing a really great job. He is the infectious disease, Allergy and Infectious Disease Institute. He heads that up at NIH. He has refused to take over NIH on a number of occasions. He really likes his infectious diseases. And um, he's doing a really, really great job of, of messaging. Very consistent. Very credible. Very, very credible. Yeah, he is very credible. So important uh, yeah. in this moment. So in the past, I don't know, 48 hours, we've seen National Guards called out in mm-hmm. Washington and Massachusetts. We've seen stock market doing what it's doing right. with the Saudis and the Russians. What kind of guidance are you offering your investor group about what to expect, how to how to think about this moment? So the one that we had a great discussion yesterday with the infectious disease specialist who started a few companies and on diagnostics. And, you know, we told him a few things. One, the next few weeks can be really rough. Um very uncomfortable, especially in hotspot areas. And I'm very focused on Washington, Boston, Santa Clara County, or the San Francisco, but mostly the East Bay area, and then um, Washington, D.C. to a lesser good. And, of course, New York City. Of course. And when you say rough and, and, and tough, how does that translate? Uh, it's, first of all, explosion of cases, because every day the capacity grows for testing. Uh, so we had this... And I think this misled the White House initially as we had this very low rate uh, that just wasn't really growing was it was the test because we weren't testing we, we couldn't yeah we didn't have yeah. the test capacity and now we're constrained by reagents we we have some shortages that are that are constraining that um, that led to a certain amount of complacency amongst the population that contributed to to the growth so that means that there are a lot of people running around this country with coronavirus who didn't know it and, and were infecting other other people and so the next few weeks I'd say two maybe three are going to be uh, characterized by a huge explosion of cases, 
maybe if we get to 10,000, we'd be on kind of par with what China experienced. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, if we get 50,000, that'd be more like Italy. I think we're going to be more like China than Italy, but um, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Um, and then the, we'll probably see the taper around May. We might catch a break with some sunny, hot weather. Right. You'll notice there are right. not very many cases in the southern parts of the United States. Mm-hmm. They are there, but uh, they're not proliferating like they are in the upper the north, the north Pacific Northwest, where you don't have as much sunshine and you certainly don't have the high temperatures that viruses heat. And so the impact on that is crowded ERs, overworked hospitals. It, that it, that that is one outcome, and we're actually looking at that. What is the ER capacity in those hot spots? What is the what is the bed capacity in those hot spots? And what one of the things that's going to be really important is the level of cooperation amongst health systems mm-hmm. and their cooperation with with the public, uh, and that's going to vary a lot from from region to region and from within a region hospital to hospital i would think. so this is a this is a time for uh some of the private equity back mm-hmm. non-acute care players right right to step into this they're already there right what counsel do you have uh, for them yeah so they're they're gonna see you know a lot of er's in this country are staffed by mcare which of course is owned by in envision which i think they're still called envision and so they're that that's it's actually a good thing, not just from the private equity perspective, but if you have a concentrated caseload in, say, the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. you're able with a company like MCare to pull docs out for temporary gigs in the Pacific Northwest to staff up hospitals. So they can flex the workforce. You you you've sort of created a flexible workforce, which is is ironic the way that the way MCare and so forth have been beat up here in the last few months over surprise billing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true also of AMN, the nurse staffing company. You know, they could draw from this pool of nurses mm. all over the country in affected areas, unaffected areas, and really provide some flexibility to the workforce that, you know, wouldn't be the case if we were require we were relying solely on local markets. So this is probably a, a good thing for those. And, and a good test, right, for uh, these organizations and their structures. Does it work like it's supposed to work? Does it work? Yeah. And I think another another question I have is, you know, emergency preparedness, pandemic preparedness is part of the public health system. You know, we mm-hmm. this city gets loads of money from the federal government every year to be prepared and drill and hospitals drill. And this will be a test of whether or not they did what they were supposed to do. Are they ready? You know, are they able to convert the step-down unit into an isolation ward? Right. You know, do they have the the skills and the wherewithal and the foresight to stop people at the front door who might need a test, but mm-hmm. also might be carrying disease and divert them in, you know, like we do, we do chicken pox. You know, when kids right. go to the pediatrician, you know, that's sign on the door for you. Wherewithal is the, uh, the right word for this. Why do you say that? Whether whether they know what to do and then have the ability to do it mm-hmm. and then can sort of have the command and control to make sure it happens. Yeah, that that's There's a that's, whole series of issues there. That, and I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think we're going to see the a, a better. We're going to see the research universities, the more sophisticated hospitals, respond very favorably. Mm-hmm. Um, less sure about some of the community hospitals. The good news there is if you look at the disease spread, it's in concentrated, very sophisticated healthcare markets. Yeah. 
which is nice, which helps, I think. Thanks for listening. In part two, available now, Emily and David will talk about access to care, the political implications, including Medicare for all, anyone, public health and personal responsibility, and much more. <laughs>